Welcome to the Best Practice Podcast. This is Bastian Best. And today we are going to take a first look at G1 of 19, which has been out for one week now and in which the enlarged Board of Appeal of the European Patent Office was expected to clarify the boundaries of software patentability. Or did they? To find out, I sat down and talked to a number of people, including the one and only Dr. Rudolf Teschemacher, uh, who you will probably know if you are watching a video on a topic like this. Um, he's been a member of the Enlarged Board of Appeal himself, and he is now working as a senior consultant in uh, the firm I'm working in, Bardele. We also have a wonderful first reactions from a number of experts in the field, including uh, Martin Wien, the uh, head of IP of um, the SALT system and also um, European patent attorney colleagues of mine, Martin Wilming and Martin Schweiger. And in addition, there were two last minute contributions coming in from two more IP practitioners, Christoph Karl, partner at Badele Pagenberg and Mathieu Den, partner at the French firm Ypsilon. I will put links to the profiles of all uh, contributors into the show notes. Before we dive into it, uh, let's look at the broader picture for a second. So in case you haven't been watching this case as closely as I did. Imagine for a second an engineer designing a new electronic circuit board for, let's say, the next generation wearable tech gadget. Would he be sitting in his workshop, brazing and soldering away? Or would he rather stare at his computer screen and work on a model of the circuit? Or imagine a researcher developing uh, the next COVID-19 vaccine. Chances are she would be sitting in front of a computer tweaking the variables of a virtual model. Don't you think so? And that's really the core of um, the issue in G1 of 19. Should computer-implemented simulations be accepted as technical and therefore potentially patentable and under which circumstances? Now, before I give you the interview with Mr. Teschemacher, a little bit of context about the European patent system. Uh, the European Patent Organization has a self-contained appeal system in which the boards of appeal are the judicial, judicial instance. So when an examining division refuses the patent application, the applicant can go on appeal. Uh, that's basically a written procedure, usually uh, with a, an oral proceedings, a, he a hearing at the end. And uh, back in the days, this appeal procedure used to be primarily more or less a continuation of the examination procedure. But things have changed over the years and uh, drastically so. There's a, a, there are new rules of procedure of the Boards of Appeal in place since last year. They are quite controversial in a number of aspects. For example, it's very difficult to bring new requests and even new arguments into the case later on. This will not be part of this video. Um, there's more information uh, about uh, these procedural aspects to find, for example, on uh, the YouTube channel of uh, my firm, Bardele. Um, now, currently, if I'm not mistaken, there are 28 technical boards of appeal with roughly 180 members of the boards. On the other hand, there are roughly 3,000 new appeal cases every year. So it's probably not surprising that sometimes there may be different opinions on similar cases by different boards. 
And uh, that's the job of the Enlarged Board of Appeal then. The main task of the Enlarged Board of Appeal is to ensure the uniform application of, of um, the European uh, Patent Convention. Uh, so uh, the technical boards can refer questions to the enlarged board if they consider that a decision is required for the uniform application of the law or if a point of law of fundamental importance arises. These uh, referrals to the enlarged board are quite rare though. Uh, we have like one to three referrals per year. In 2019 there were four, which is uh, a high number um, considering the, the statistics. If you are a number guy, you can find more of those statistics in the annual report of the Boards of Appeal. So what is uh, the, the case all about we are talking about here? Well, the invention relates um, basically to the modeling and the simulation of the movement of a pedestrian crowd through an environment. For example, a venue like a railway station, an airport, a soccer stadium. So such a computer-implemented simulation is of course useful for verifying uh, whether the design of the building is good. For example, if uh, the football stadium can be evacuated uh, properly in an emergency situation. Mm, so the case, the invention was really about uh, modeling the behavior of a pedestrian crowd in such a, a virtual environment. The first instance um, department, the examining division, uh, refused the application. There wasn't even a prior art uh, done um, because the argument was that the simulation model was non-technical and the implementation of this non-technical method on a standard computer is obvious, lack of inventive step. That's, so to say, the status quo of um, CII patentability. That's the convict approach. Every time when you have a mix of technical and non-technical features, only those features which contribute to the technical character of the invention are taken into account in the inventive step assessment. If you need more information on the convict approach, um, also there's more information elsewhere on my podcast. The key takeaway here is that European patents are only uh, granted for non-obvious technical contributions to the prior art. The examining division said that the whole simulation aspect was non-technical. Uh, the, um, the applicant went on appeal and in front of the technical board of appeal, um, the appellant essentially argued that simulating the movement of pedestrians uh, yields uh, results which are no different from uh, those obtained by, for example, modeling an, an electron using numerical methods. So, like the simulation of, of an electronic uh, um, circuit, um, the claimed simulation of the movement of pedestrians was based at least in part on the law of physics. That was one of the arguments of the appellant. And uh, the appellant heavily relied on an earlier Board of Appeal decision uh, called the Infineon decision, which already dealt with computer-implemented simulations of an electronic circuit and found that this is considered technical under certain circumstances. The Technical Board of Appeal, however, was not persuaded in this case and um, even questioned the earlier Infineon case law. But that's not enough. The Technical Board even made the claim that 
a technical effect requires, and now I'm citing, at a minimum, a direct link with physical reality, such as a change in or a measurement of a physical entity. So the technical board here really took a very strict approach to the question, what is technical or not? And they said, you always need, at a minimum, a direct link into the physical world, so to say. So in summary, in this case, two interesting issues at stake. Uh, the one was, should the earlier Infineon case law be followed, uh, which is more favorable for computer simulations? And the second issue was, what are really the requirements of an invention a feature or an effect thereof to qualify as technical? Do we need a direct link into the physical reality? So hopefully I have you hooked right now and without further ado, I now bring you Rudolf Teschemacher. Mr. Teschemacher, thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to give my uh, impression of a very important and long-awaited decision. I'm really curious about your impression indeed. Like, uh, I mean, you've been a member of the Enlarged Board of Appeal yourself, right? For how many years? Um, for 11 years. For 11 years, okay. So I'm sure you would, be, you would be able to tell some interesting stories. But now let's focus on the, on the G1 of 19 decision. And I'm really thrilled to learn about your, your thoughts on the decision. Um, so maybe let's start with kind of a bird's eye view first. So what's your overall impression on the decision in terms of how it is structured, how long it took um, after the oral proceedings maybe, and how the enlarged board deals with the, the question overall? Uh, even before reading the decision, you see it's a very long decision. So it uh, needs some time to digest it. Uh, looking at, in, at it in detail, uh, we see it's a very thorough decision. It uh, contains a complete analysis of the decision taken on similar uh, cases previously. And uh, as to the structure, I think it provides a clear thread from the interpretation of the questions referred over general principles how to assess inventive step in the case law of the boards of appeal. So to say from the problem solution approach in general over the convict approach how to assess uh, inventions in the field of computer-implemented inventions to the application of these principles to computer-implemented simulation processes. The matter is very complex, in particular for those dealing not every day with uh, computer-implemented inventions. And this uh, complexity may partly explain uh, the length of the proceedings, uh, the eight months from the oral proceedings to the issuing of the decisions, and the two years after the referring decision. It's not only uh, the length of the proceedings before the enlarged board. If we look at the history of the case, which is a case without opposition, 
the decision was taken 16 years after entry into the European phase, plus one and a half further years after the international filing date. So two and a half years are left uh, of the term of the patent. And the lesson is, I think any party concerned should uh, consider uh, when referral is at stake, whether the delay is supportable for it in uh, terms of its commercial interest. So in most cases, it's more the general interest in the legal questions uh, justifying uh, referral than the interest in the specific case. Talking about the question, uh, the, the legal questions and maybe the factual questions. Um, uh, yeah, let's look at the, the referral questions in some uh, more detail maybe for, for the listeners and the viewers not perfectly familiar with, with the case. Um, so maybe can you briefly explain what the three referral questions uh, really mean? Yeah, uh, first, uh, the enlarged board uh, deals with the underlying factual question of what is a computer implemented simulation. And in this respect, uh, the uh, enlarged board refers to the referring decision of the technical board, where it is said uh, a computer implemented simulation is an approximate imitation of the operation of a system or process on the basis of a model of that system or process, which exists only in the computer and allows the functioning of the system or process to be assessed or predicted. So that's what the enlarged board is uh, dealing with. And the invention underlying the referral uh, was about simulating the movement of pedestrians in an environment. And as it is becomes clear from the referring decision, um, this simulation may be useful for verifying whether the design of a building fulfills given requirements, for example, in case of a necessary evac evacuation of the building. And uh, there is a number of uh, claims, and uh, claims specifically dealing with uh, that purpose is uh, the fourth auxiliary request, which says uh, providing a model of a given building structure simulating the movement of pedestrians therein, revising the model independence of the simulated movement. There you have the connection of the simulation with a further step. And this plays a role uh, in the further assessment uh, of the legal questions by the enlarged board. The main request uh, was refused uh, by the first instance, uh, which said only the use of a, a com conventional computer contributes to the technical character, character of the invention, and uh, that is not inventive. The Board of Appeals, the Technical Board of Appeals, 
tends to agree with the examining division and uh, says steps forming the claimed method in themselves are not non-technical. But uh, the technical board was faced with a previous decision, T1227 of 2005, uh, in which it was stated that the simulation of the noise reduction of an electronic circuit was a simulation which was adequately, which, which um, uh, so to say, adequately defined a purpose for a computer implemented method. And uh, the referring board saw a certain uh, contradiction between its own tendency and the statement in this previous uh, decision. Uh, so the board said we have an analog analogous situation, but we are hesitant to follow. In principle, the board said the calculations underlying the simulation of pedestrian crowd movement, as claimed, can be performed purely mentally. And the cognitive process of theoretically verifying a design appears to be fundamental non-technical. And the greater speed, uh, which may be an argument, the board uh, did not accept this. They said any algorithmically specified procedure that can be carried out mentally can be carried out more quickly if implemented on a computer. The conclusion of the board was we uh, have a point of law of fundamental importance and in, to, in order to ensure uniform application of the law, we refer the case. So that was uh, the basis for the three referral questions which we deal specifically in the following. We should do that, yeah. So turning to question number one, can you can you comment on on what the board, uh, the enlarged board, made out of question number one? Yeah, they gave a clear answer. They said yes, uh, computer implementation simulated uh, method uh, claimed as such can solve a technical problem by producing a technical effect beyond the simulations implementation on the computer. So uh, that's a plain answer. And the board says no group of computer implemented inventions can be a priori excluded from patent protection. Uh, that's, so to say, uh, the simple answer. But uh, the board, in its reasoning, uh, they stated uh, certain conditions for patentability of such a process. Is that following from the problem-solution approach as specified uh, by the two-hurdle convict approach for the examination of computer-implemented implemented inventions, 
inventive step has to be examined on the basis of features contributing to the technical character of the invention in view of the closest prior art. And uh, models underlying the simulation are non-technical uh, constraints for the purposes of the simulation itself. So the model cannot serve to uh, affirm the technical character of the invention. But technical effects around or in the simulation can arise at the input uh, into the computer. You feed certain measurements, which may a technical measure. They can arise at the output. You send a signal to control a device or whatever. And this is typically a direct link to uh, this physical reality. But they can also arise within the process it itself. itself. Uh, you may have to adapt the computer, the hardware, uh, to perform the process. Or you may uh, have to fulfill certain software requirements uh, for, um, uh, for carrying out the uh, simulation. For example, data transfer and things like that. So that would be a technical improvement to the simulation as such. But the board said clearly for that reason, a direct link with physical uh, reality is not a requirement in every case. Then the board dealt with the so-called potential effects. Uh, according to Convic, a further, further technical effect uh, is relevant for assessing whether you have a contribution uh, to a technical solution. And this further technical effect results from the program then run on the computer. And according to the enlarged board, it may be considered for assessing inventive step if the resulting data resulting from the simulation is specifically adapted for the purposes of the intended use, for example, for controlling a device. And they made a more uh, specific definition of this further technical effect. They said a technical effect going beyond the simulations straightforward or unspecified, unspecified implementation on a standard computer system. So that is uh, more uh, detailed than the um, formula used uh, so far in the case law. And the board added, and that's an important aspect, in order to avoid protection for non-patentable subject matter, the intended use has to be at least implicitly specified in the claim. 
if the data uh, obtained has relevant other uses, the technical effect is not achieved over substantially the whole scope of the claimed invention. And uh, the criterion that uh, the uh, effect has to be in the claim, at least implicitly, uh, is intended to avoid this. And for reasons of clarity, the board adds that calculated technical effects is just data and is such non-technical. But on the other hand, a tangible effect, like in the US law, is not a requirement of patentability. So far, my summary to question one. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems to me that, yeah, the, the large board really drilled quite deep into into the matter and yeah gave quite some guidance um turning to the second question now uh, the referring board nevertheless had asked for a really i'm quoting now uh, the relevant criteria for assessing whether a computer implemented simulation claimed as such solves a technical problem so the the referring board really had asked for like kind of a white list of of criteria some practitioners would have been happy for uh, for such a whitelist, uh, maybe. But uh, on, on that first half of question two, the enlarged board um, didn't answer that, right? Yeah, uh, the reason for this is how the enlarged board understands his own role. <laughs> and one aspect of this role is directly derived from uh, Article 112. Uh, a question uh, to be answered has to be required and the board says required by the case underlying mm. the referral and only to the extent it is uh, required the board uh, considers the question to be admissible and the enlarged board considered that an answer to the second half of the question was sufficient for the refer referring board to uh, deal with the case and so they didn't uh, give a reply to the more general questions. So the task of the enlarged board is not to write textbooks or to write white lists as you say, that would be appreciated by many but it would imply a, a danger uh, if you establish a system, a whole system before knowing all uh, specific aspects of future cases you may uh, soon uh, have to uh, modify your system uh, you, something may turn out to be wrong and so uh, prudence, uh, prudence uh, requires to be careful in not going too far. Uh, and the board expressly said an exhaustive list of criteria for all possible situations is simply not possible. 
Nevertheless, uh, regarding the second half of, of question two, you already um, said it, the board gave an answer. Um, here the, the referring board had asked um, whether it's a, a sufficient condition that the simulation is based, I'm quoting again, at least in part on technical principles underlying the simulated system or process, so the object of the simulation. So what did the board say here, the enlarged board? Also here the received a clear answer. The answer is no. Uh, this is not a sufficient condition. Uh, the uh, board referred to the convict approach according to which a technical step within a computer impl implemented process may or may not contribute to the problem solved by the invention. And in this respect, the model underlying a simulation uh, form constraints, a term often used in the convict approach, and these constraints may be technical or non-technical, but they are not technical for the purposes of the simulation itself. So it's decisive whether the relevant technical step contributes to the solution of a technical problem. And the technical character of the simulated process is not prejudicial for the question whether the numerical simulation contributes to a technical solution of a technical problem. And the referred case may uh, show this. Uh, the simulation may reflect non-technical aspects like human behavior and how a pedestrian walks is human behavior and as such non-technical. So the board's conclusion is it is neither a sufficient nor a necessary condition that a numerical simulation is based, at least in part, on technical principles that underlie the simulated system or process. For me, I think that's a really an important learning from, from this um, decision. Um, so finally, question number three here, the referring board had asked um, if the answers to the previous questions would now change if the computer implemented simulation was claimed uh, not as such, but as part of a design process. So what's your take on that and what's the enlarged board's take on that? Yeah, it may be surprising also here. Uh, clear, definite answer, no. Uh, design process is normally a cognitive activity, says the board. Uh, again, according to the convict approach, depending on the technical context, features relating to a, to a design may or may not contribute to the technical character of the claimed invention. Special treatment of design processes would cause delimitation problems since design, states the board, is not a clear criterion. Uh, I leave it as it is, but I would add that no clear answer is given in the decision whether the mere verification of a design by simulation 
would be recognized as a technical effect going beyond the simulations, as the board says, straightforward or unspecified implementation on a standard computer system. Mm -hmm. We will come back to this perhaps when discussing T1227 that we should do yeah yeah so um now that we have dealt with the uh, the three referral questions specifically uh, i i would say there's really two uh, interesting points we should touch on uh, i'm still the first um you already uh, said it basically um one point of heavy discussion was whether um as the referring board was uh, uh, taking the position whether a technical effect requires I'm again citing at a minimum a direct link with physical reality. That was the wording of the referring board. You already mentioned it. Uh, the enlarged board um, said clearly no, that's uh, a direct link with physical reality is not um, a necessary condition uh, in every case for technical character. Um, so any additional comments on, on that point? Yeah, the board says uh, calculated information on physical pro properties of an object may reflect properties occurring in the real world, so there is something existing. However, first and foremost, the board adds, this information is mere data, which can be used in many different ways. Technical contributions may be established by features within the computer system, as we mentioned before, uh, adaptation of software or hardware, things like that. They may be uh, established on potential effects, as we already have mentioned, uh, an effect achieved only in combination with non-claimed feature, the intended use. And uh, the conclusion is, while a direct link with physical reality is in most cases sufficient to establish technicality, it cannot be a necessary condition. So it has some merit if you have it, but if you don't have it, you have to examine in detail whether nevertheless there is a technical solution to a technical problem. Sounds for me as a patent attorney practitioner sounds good because I mean if even if there's a more virtual uh, invention which doesn't have that direct link there's now still room to argue that there is still a, a technical effect. Um, second a big point in in uh, G1 of 19 um, the Infineon decision you mentioned it um, it's in fact it's one of the main decisions the appellant uh, relied um, upon and it's indeed yeah one of the very prominent uh, decisions i would say for patent applicants in the field because uh, yeah this decision is oftentimes cited by by patent applicants in favor in favor of patentability of simulation methods so how did the enlarged board comment on on the infineon decision yeah, in this case, it may also be worthwhile to looking what the decision was about. Mm -hmm. uh, and it concerned a resource-saving numerical simulation of an electronic circuit subject to low-frequency noise influence. 
And applying the convict approach, the board considered that the simulation constituted an adequately defined technical purpose for a computer-implemented method, provided that the method was functionally limited to that purpose. And the uh, enlarged board is a little bit prudent about agreeing or disagreeing with it. Uh, they say they agree with the findings of this decision if understood to mean that the simulation process possesses an intrinsically technical uh, function. And that is what uh, the board in P127 of uh, 05 uh, defined as being limited to that purpose. Uh, but as the board uh, stated at other passages of the decision, uh, this uh, further purpose has to be at least implicitly in the claim and in the decision uh, circuit simulation, there were different sets of claims, the ones having such limitations, the others not, and uh, the task of the large board was not to uh, give a decision uh, which set of claims uh, at the old case had fulfilled uh, the requirement and which others not. So, in my opinion, the intrinsically technical function should be at least clear uh, if the model underlying the simulation is adapted as a result of the simulation. Then you have a clearly defined practical purpose uh, connection to reality, but uh, the other cases, uh, the effects uh, inside the computer and so on, they cannot be answered on the basis of uh, that uh, uh, consideration. Great, great, yeah, thanks, makes makes sense, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, final words, uh, what are your key takeaways from the decision, especially for patent applicants, maybe? Quite in general, one can say that the uh, aim of the de decision is to define for the field of computer-implemented simulations a borderline between pure mathematics as represented by an algorithms, which is the essence of a simulation process, and which, as pure science, is not eligible for patent protection. And on the other hand, applied science, the practical use of a scientific method, uh, which may uh, patentable subject matter example already given, the control of a device or a process, think of a nuclear plant, uh, the operation of which can be based uh, on simulation, uh, simulating events which we would, not we would not like to see in reality, but which are useful for knowing where the limits are. And in order to uh, 
define this border lines, the uh, enlarged port uh, uses criteria developed under the convict approach for defining which uh, technical features may be considered to contribute to the solution of a technical problem. And this is, these are well-known tools, tools for the practitioner. And in this respect, I find uh, that the uh, enlarged board has given uh, practicable guidance for applicants to rely on what they find uh, in the case law. And the enlarged board adds that the list of non-inventions in Article 52, Paragraph 2, is useful for determining whether specific features are technical and can be considered to determine the technical character of an invention and to contribute to inventive step. So that's my conclusion I draw from the decision. I'm not a practitioner uh, drafting applications, but uh, I think uh, practitioners will know what to write in an application in order to uh, show that uh, they not merely claim abstract uh, uh, mathematical methods, but uh, uh, processes and products uh, which have a practical use. Great. Well, I think there's nothing more to add to that. Mr. Teschemacher, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Mr. As I just said in the interview, I think there's really nothing to add to Mr. Teschemacher's insights here. Next up, we have a statement by European patent attorney Martin Wilming, uh, who is a partner at Hepp Wenger Riffel, a, uh, one of the largest firms of patent attorneys in Switzerland. Let's see what Martin has to say. So, decision G1 of 19 is finally out. Has the expectation been disappointed? I don't think so. Of course, the decision is not a ready mix. It's actually quite the contrary. But it confirms once again what I appreciate so much about the EPO, which is consistency. The large Board of Appeal has made one thing very clear now. There is no special treatment for certain kinds of computer-implemented inventions. No CII holds a privileged position or is discriminated. And how are CIIs assessed at the EPO? Well, no surprise at all here, it's the convict approach. But the former lead case for computer-implemented simulation, which is T1227 of 05 in Finian, did not get away scot-free. In that case, the board had put much emphasis on the specific and limited purpose of the output of the claimed simulation method, which was considered to have technical character. And even though the board had spotted that the simulation was designed as resource efficient, which could have carried the day for the applicant alone, the board did not explicitly rely on that fact any further. I take from the enlarged board now that the express reasoning of Infineon would only hold water in very exceptional cases, meaning where the potential use of such data is effectively limited to technical purposes. The enlarged board did not dive deeper here, but that is actually something that has always disturbed me in the Infineon decision. The patent itself mentions that the noise generators 
are suitable for systems for estimating and predicting events in financial markets. So there clearly is no implicit limitation to technical purposes here, not in the claim and not in the specification. On the contrary, the claim in view of the specification covers a simulation method for events in financial markets. The large board stopped short of saying that the board in T1227 of 05 came to the wrong conclusion. But in my view, the enlarged board drastically limits its applicability. Now, where are we going from here? I feel the easy cases will still be those where the simulation in itself is in a way resource efficient, meaning when there is some benefit in the internal functioning of the computer or network. The more complicated and more frequent cases will be those where the simulations contribute to technical effects relating to the results of the simulation. The enlarged board held that it depends on the implicit or explicit further use of such data, whether a resulting technical effect can be considered in the assessment of inventive step. However, from a practical point of view, it will not always be possible to recite such downstream use of the data of a simulation without unduly restricting the scope of the claim from a business perspective and without impairing the chances to assert infringement against a single entity. As mentioned earlier, G1 of 19 surely is no ready mix. Let's see how the case law of the boards will develop further now that we know that there is no escape from combat. I fully agree with Martin here that consistency is probably one of the key takeaways of, of G1 of 19. Let's look at what someone from the industry has to say about the decision. Um, we will have Martin Wien, um, the head of IP of Dassault System, which is a French company that actually makes simulation software. So they are heavily invested into this case. Hello, my name is Martin Wien. I am French. I am European Patatone with Dassault System, a software company. I am also head of the industrial property team. And finally, I am also a lecturer at the CP Center for International Intellectual Property Studies in Strasbourg on computer implemented inventions. I'm going to answer to some questions sent to me by Bastian Best. First question, why is the decision relevant to your industry? Dassault System is the first software company in France and the second in Europe. Our business entirely focuses on software, no hardware at all. We protect our technologies by patents, all covering computer-implemented inventions. Our products are split into four categories, fully modeling applications, where we have firmware brands such as Katia and Setworks, social and collaborative applications, information intelligence applications, and of course, simulation applications most of them being sold on the market under our brand Simulia. What differs the system from companies using simulations, such as our clients, is that we are not simulation software users, but simulation software editor. Consequently, anyone may understand that this decision is highly important for the system, and that is also the reason why I have personally drafted an amicus career brief in the name of the system that I filed tardy 
last April, but before the oral proceedings of last July. In addition, I would like to add that portion to the notice from the PO concerning, concerning the staying of proceedings due to referral G119, some of our own proceedings before the EPO examining divisions, as well as the boards of appeal, in which the decision depends on the outcome of the referral having stayed, suspended, sometimes after the decision to grant us a patent was notified to us. Second question, what's your overall impression of the decision? Firstly, I can say that the enlarged Board of Appeal did a good job. The decision as a whole is clear, even if I cannot agree on every statement. Secondly, G119 is no revolution. No evolution, but fortunately, no regression. Thirdly, the enlarged Board of Appeal clearly keeps the door open for an evolution of the patentability criteria. For example, uh, we can read in paragraph 65 the following. They should be open to further development as technology evolves, and it should be even possible for other criteria to emerge if they lead to more appropriate interpretation of the law. And the enlarged board of appeal also recites in paragraph 88 the following. The notion of technicality needs to remain open. Question three, what are your key takeaways? I personally believe that G119 is much more than a mere confirmation of the case law. Actually, there was no doubt that existing case law was applicable to simulation. Since the beginning, I was convinced that G119 would yield the same consequences on computer-implemented inventions, for example, on artificial intelligence. As a reminder, artificial intelligence inventions and simulation inventions belong to the same scope, computer implemented invention. In the decision, in, the, in point 117, we can have a kind of confirmation of my interpretation. For example, the assessment of whether or not a feature contributes to the technical character of a computer implemented invention is presumably no different for computer implemented inventions than for other computer implemented inventions. There are, for example, computer implemented methods for production of the status of a system, which do not qualify as simulations, but raise the same issues as to their technical character. As a consequence, the teaching of G119 on simulation can be a source of inspiration for other computer-implemented invention cases. In addition, for the European Patent Attorneys specializing in computer-implemented inventions, G119 is a mine of information. What G308 already was in 2010, there are many interesting findings that could help develop new lines of arguments to justify the patentability of computer-implemented inventions. We identified and discussed some this weekend with the patent attorneys of Bonpay and Greuter, my main patent firm. For example, 
in the answer of the BA, especially answer to question one, but we cannot remind. A computer implemented simulation of a technical system or process that is claimed as such can, for the purpose of assessing inventive step, solve a technical problem by producing a technical effect going beyond simulations implementation on a computer. What I find interesting is that in paragraph 50, the, the enlarged board of appeal reads the following. The criterion technical effect going, going beyond the simulations implementation is understood to mean any further technical effect going beyond the normal physical interactions between the program and the computer on which the simulation is run. Until now, the further technical effect approach was mainly developed in one context, the admissibility of computer program product claim. As a consequence, it was sometimes difficult in the past to apply the further technical effect approach to other claims such, such as method claims, because an examiner could argue that the further technical effect approach was only applicable to the context of product claim, of, of the program uh, product claim. Therefore, we can see a kind of extension of the reasoning of the further technical effect to simulation, and it is probably applicable to other computer-implemented inventions. Question four, do you think the decision has clarified the situation? I have two comments on that. First, the confirmation that the current case law is still applicable to simulation is already a good clarification. However, there was a need for additional confirmations and clarifications. For example, on the requirements of a direct link with physical reality or not. Actually, the response to this question was already provided in G308, but insufficiently developed in the case law following G308. Question 2A was not admitted, and I would like to remind the, the question. What are the relevant criteria for assessing whether a computer implemented simulation, simulation claim as such solves a technical problem? The enlarged board of appeal explained in paragraph 67 the following. The enlarged board considers that it is never possible to give an exhaustive list of positive or negative, alternative or cumulative criteria for assessing whether a computer implemented process solves a technical problem by producing a technical effect that goes beyond the implementation of the process on the computer. This applies to all computer implemented processes, not only to simulation. I would have been interested to have more clarifications, of course, but in that condition, the existing case law still applies. Last question. Would you have wished for something else? Thank you for asking the question, Bastian. My response is yes, clearly yes. My main concern is about decision 2027 
known as Infineon. Decision Infineon dealing with simulation has set up a legal frame in which simulation must constitute an adequately defined technical purpose for a computer implemented method functionally limited to that purpose. In this decision, the adequately defined technical purpose was a simulation of a circuit subject to one and f nodes. In other words, it is necessary for a simulation-based invention to limit the scope to an adequately defined technical purpose. I would like to draw your attention of, on point 23 of the referral of G119. In the case of a computer-implemented simulation, decision 1227.05 requires that the simulation concerns an adequately defined class of technical items. In this board's reading of that decision, the requirement adequately defined is a clarity requirement. Therefore, what is surprising about the requirement of limitation to the scope of an adequately defined technical purpose is that it is unrelated to patentable requirements, Article 52 to, to uh, 57, but to a clarity requirement, Article 84. These are two different requirements. This means that applying this requirement, not dealing with patentability, some inventions, among which simulation-based inventions, may be unduly rejected, although they fulfill the patentable requirements from Article 52 to 57. To overcome a rejection based on infinite, the applicant must limit its invention to an adequately defined technical purpose or an adequately defined class of technical items. This type of limitation is certainly acceptable for many applicants from an industrial perspective, as a vast majority of them can accept to have a patent granted on a defined technical purpose corresponding to their business or industrial activity. For example, in the application regarding the decision Infineon, the applicant, the applicant Infineon Technologies claims is its business as semiconductor and system solutions. Therefore, it is not surprising for Infineon Technologies to accept a restriction limited to the simulation of a circuit subject to one on F noise. However, as mentioned above, Dassault system has many clients in very diversified industries and therefore is not likely to accept a limitation of its patents dealing with simulation to a specific technical purpose. For example, the same simulation-based invention can often be applicable to several different class of technical systems such as aerospace, transportation, marine, or industrial equipment. Let me give you an example. Our airflow simulation software is successfully used in aerospace and more recently was also used in, with great success to re reduce virus propagation risk in a hospital. In order to circumvent the problem of requirement of a limitation in the wording of a patent claim, one solution that the system may imagine or apply is to find as many patent applications as the number of its industrial applications. 
since the same simulation may be applied to several industrial applications. However, beyond the artificial aspect of such approach, this implies important costs and is therefore not applicable. Thank you, Bastian, for your very interesting questions. And thank you hmm, all for- I like Martin's point about clarity here. So, and lastly, we have a statement by another Martin, uh, apparently, um, patent attorney Martin Schweiger, who is a partner at Schweiger and Partners in Singapore. He is actually uh, the patent attorney who had drafted the patent application underlying the earlier Infineon case. So, let's see uh, what his take on the matter is. Hello, Bastian. So, what is my take on the decision G119 of the Enlarged Board of Appeal of the EPO. In my opinion, this is a great piece of legal work. The G119 again confirms that the systematic efforts of the European Patent Office will lead to even greater predictability of future CII patent applications. This is where I'm coming from. You know that I'm in the field of computer-implemented inventions since 1993, and I have seen a lot. Among others, I was the one who drafted and prosecuted the one divided by F noise patent application up to the Boards of Appeal. This led to one of the two main authorities that are referred to in the G119 decision that we are talking about today. Some call this T1227 of 05 decision 1 divided by F noise and some call it Infineon. One divided by F noise decision has often been misunderstood in the past. The large board of appeal has now put in a lot of effort to shed light on that one divided by F noise decision. G119 does not explicitly say that, but it is now very prominent that just alone inserting a functional feature for simulating a technical system does not make a CII technical and therefore not patentable, even if all other criteria are met. The specific case of the G119 decision is now back at the Board of Appeal from which it came, and I don't want to speculate in public whether there will be a granted patent or not. But what I can see is that one of my golden rules for drafting computer-related patent applications again is confirmed. You have to describe your invention in such details that it can be understood why it has tangible advantages. I'm avoiding the legal term technical here because this term is too vague when it is about drafting a computer-implemented invention patent application. Tangible means that the advantage can be seen in the real world or the invention can even fall on your foot. So if there is a novel invention, then obeying this golden rule can make the difference between obtaining a patent grant or not. And I'm already looking forward to reading the corresponding decision of that Board of Appeal that decides on that for the patent application of the G1. And in addition, there was one last minute contribution coming in from another IP practitioner, Christoph Karl, partner at Badele Pagenberg. I will put links to all the profiles of all the contributors of this episode into the show notes. Many practitioners were worried about this decision and thought that it might close the door for patenting computer simulations. But having read the decision, I don't think that this is the case. Basically, 
the Enlarged Board of Appeal reiterates that the general rules for patenting computer-implemented inventions also apply to simulations. There are even some quite helpful statements in the decision. For example, it says that something as cognitive as a mere design process could, under certain circumstances, contribute to technicality. And the same is true for simulations which involve clearly untechnical items like the behavior of humans. Even such a simulation could contribute to the technical solution of a technical problem. But there are other statements in the decision which are less helpful. For example, it says that it is conceivable that the simulation of a billiard ball running on a surface uh, and this simulation being used in a game would not contribute to technicality. Whereas the simulation of weather conditions for providing a better weather forecast, that this would be technical. And I don't quite see the difference here, frankly. Why should a more realistic simulation of a ball running on a surface, which is then used to enhance the experience for a gamer or for somebody watching a movie, why should that not be technical? And frankly, I think that the Enlarged Board of Appeal might not have properly thought through uh, this statement when they made it. Okay, so now we've heard and seen a number of interesting views on, on this case and on the implications for the future. Um, I think I'll leave it at that for today. Sorry, this episode was far longer than expected and far longer as usual, but I think and I hope uh, you agree with me that the importance of this case uh, justifies the length of this podcast episode. As always, um, if you enjoyed this content, if you found some value in, in what you just heard, um, help me spread the word, um, share this with your friends and colleagues, share it on social media, and please help me spread the word and um, create awareness about software patentability in Europe. With that being said, thanks for watching again and talk to you soon.